Well, first of all, my name is Andrew Gallicky. I'm an elder here, I think. Um, and I want to tell you a little bit about how the Lord's uh, blessed in uh, my life just a bit over the last few weeks. I've had the privilege of speaking over the last two Sundays, sermons which you guys have heard, um, but I redid them for a church up in Yampa and just had a blessing uh, sharing, sharing with people God's word and uh, filled in for their pastor while he was on vacation. And so I'll still be gone for one more Sunday. We're heading on vacation next week as well. But uh, it is such a blessing to be back with you today. We're going to start with a scripture passage that uh, really touched my heart as I was studying through this first phrase of, of, uh, of, the, of the Lord's Prayer after the address to our Father. So hear the word of God from Hebrews chapter 12. I want to start out by letting you know that the first part of this passage sounds a little bit uh, difficult to understand unless you know kind of the context of this. So in this first part of the passage, he talks about God at Mount Sinai and God in the Old Testament, um, really during the life of, of the nation of Israel. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given, if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Pause. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the, heavy Jerus- the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirit of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused them who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I've titled my sermon, A Kingdom That Cannot Be Shaken. I'm indebted to a study of, of the Lord's Prayer that I found on um, Piper's, John Piper's ministry, Desiring God. 
this prayer that we're contemplating can and has been a rote repetition. In many contexts, that's exactly what it is. In fact, in the Roman Catholic Church, it's said so many times that it's simply referred to by the three words, the Our Father. Yet, you may pray thy kingdom come without any regard for Jesus' intent, or you may pray your kingdom come and the world itself can begin to change. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I have chosen as my focus the first part of that, of that sentence, but the first part incorporates the last part always. So your kingdom come ends in an exposition in the rest of that sentence with what is meant by your kingdom come. Your will be done, and then it takes it one step further, just in case you missed it, on earth, just like it is in heaven. So for my blessing today, I'm going to use some words from Revelation, and when you hear that, remember that that's what we're praying for on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever heard the phrase, till kingdom come? I've, I've also heard it in a more violent context. They, I'll blast you to kingdom come, right? But the word, the phrase, till kingdom come, implies a time way off in the future. In fact, it implies a time that might never even come. Is that the kingdom we're praying for? No. Imagine how his disciples heard this phrase. Um, we as humans don't do very well with kingdoms. I've been listening to a podcast called Revolutions, and I've been shocked at how horrible most kings are. Um, we don't do well with kingdoms and even kings. But some of these guys, his disciples, I'm sure they thought when he said, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, they were like, yes, he's going to take the throne. He's going to put the crown of David on his head, and it's going to be high cotton. We're headed in a, in a great way. They probably even thought it would call for a battle, right? But it wasn't. In this prayer, I also want you to notice we are not bringing the kingdom. I don't see any action here that says, while you're praying for it, work hard to bring my will here on earth. We're asking God for the kingdom to come. The Lord Jesus told us to pray that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. It's a paradox. We cannot bring it. It's his kingdom. It is preexistent. And yet, in some way, we are part of it. We're part of the kingdom and the workings of the kingdom. In some way, God sees you and I as foot soldiers in the divine conspiracy that the gospel will reign over this world. Praying for his kingdom and his will to be done can change this universe, the world, but it begins from your and my heart. And it can move out 
in space and time to everything under his creation. I see six truths in this passage quickly. The kingdom of God is divine. The kingdom of God is messianic. The kingdom of God is a revolution from the inside out. The kingdom of God is opposed. The kingdom of God comes to destroy the kingdom of Satan. And the kingdom of God is progressing. Let's start with the divine. The kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God. Psalm 99 says, The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise you, your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have established justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. That word for kingdom, and I am going to butcher this, comes from basilia, the word for king. And it simply means the reign of the king. It means all the territory of his realm. The king is God. His territory is the whole cosmos. But there's a question for you and I. His kingdom goes beyond things that are touchable. It goes to the things that are unshaken. And really the question is, are you part of the territory of the king? It's important for us to remember this. The kingdom did not start when Jesus showed up on this earth. It has always been there. It did make a leap forward. The kingdom of God, though, has always been. God has always been on the throne. It is an eternal kingdom that not only will last forever, it has been forever. The Lord established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all, Psalm 103. Wherever God is, that's where his reign is. But if you choose to not submit, he still reigns. If you resist the spirit of God moving on your heart, the kingdom of God still exists. And the intent and the purposes of God, God the Almighty, they will go forward. God rules through creation. The psalm just showed us that. The heavens obey him, even when man does not. The beasts of the earth and the winds and the waves and all the heavenly bodies obey him. I don't know about you, but as I observed the James Webb telescope pictures, I was struck with the beauty of our universe that we've never seen. We have, no human being has ever seen that. God didn't do that for us. That's part of his kingdom. He did it for the beauty of the universe. God rules through providence. God has been working all things for your and my good and especially preparing a people in the dawn of time, the Hebrews through which would come the Messiah. He laid that groundwork in the very beginning of time. And when we pray, your kingdom come, we are surrendering to his will. You see, that's part of this prayer. 
your will be done on earth includes me. In my heart, his will needs to be done. And when our will is made subservient to his, it changes us in a way that we seek to amplify God's will. Second, the kingdom of God is messianic. How did we find out about the kingdom of God? Well, it was preached, it was disclosed, it was lived to us by Jesus Christ. John shows us that word who pre-existed time and space and made his journey to the world. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus disclosed that plan of God to us personally. Jesus came healing and teaching. When he cast out demons, he said, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you, Matthew 12. Every person healed, every demon that he cast out, Every word that was spoken to sinners was an advancement of the kingdom of God in this world. And on the cross, Jesus, the Son of God, shed his blood for his people, all of us who have trusted in him. And on the morning of the first day of the week, Jesus arose. And the king inaugurated a resurrection that would eventually extend to all of his people. Jesus arose, and then at his ascension, our king ascended. And we're told he sits at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. One of my favorite books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the witch had cast her evil spell on a number of animals and humans, and they were frozen statues And when Aslan comes back after his resurrection from the dead at the stone table, Aslan breathes onto those creatures, and they are unfrozen. In fact, he gives Lucy the ability to do the same. You know, at Pentecost, the people of God were supernaturally empowered by God to move across the earth and pour out the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world frozen in their sins. When the word of God comes into a heart, the kingdom of God moves in right along with it. And when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're inviting Jesus, we're inviting the king to move into our lives, take them over, and breathe his Holy Spirit into us. Next, the kingdom of God is a revolution, but it's a revolution that comes from the inside out. You know, I have to admit the kingdom to me has been an object of a lot of study, and I don't understand it all, and that's okay. But if it's confusing to us, it must have been very confusing at his time. One time when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, 
Jesus said, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. It's not a physical kingdom first. It's not about land or armies or money or earthly power. In fact, the king of this kingdom won victory on a cross. Some of the greatest subjects of this king have been killed for their faith in his kingdom. And today, many of them look old, weak, irrelevant in the eyes of the world. The kingdom starts here and grows out. When Pope John Paul was a newly elected pope, he wanted to go to his homeland, to communist Poland. The communists did not know what to do with that. They knew that if they refused the invitation, they would appear fearful of this one they had called an irrelevant priest. But if they invited him to come, they could have a revolution on their hands. They, in the end, really had no choice, so they reluctantly invited Pope John Paul. When he arrived in Poland, he kissed the ground. Millions, literally millions, came out to hear him preach some of his most moving sermons. But on official Polish television, he was barely mentioned. When the average Polish citizen saw that contrast between the, the media of the nation refusing to mention him and yet having experienced the messages, having heard the power, it seems like the average Pole said to himself, it's over. And communism really ended when one and then dozens and then hundreds and then millions 10, 20, it was at the end. Poland was about 30 million people. They thought, it's over. And yet, John Paul had never raised a gun, never raised a fist, but that revolution began from the inside out. It is a great picture of the kingdom of God. The world has been in darkness, and Satan has ruled it, but at the cross, Jesus, through his sacrifice, through his resurrection, the empowering of his people, lit a candle that will never be put out. It was over. How do we win America to Christ? India? The Middle East? China? From the inside out. One person, then a hundred, then a million, saying in their hearts, it's over. Our God reigns. Quickly, the kingdom of God is opposed. We've talked about this kingdom, but we all know that it's hard. And there are two kingdoms at work in this world. The Apostle Paul warned us, finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Satan is the ruler of this world. But Christ is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His sovereignty is not diminished, but there is another kingdom. In the city of God, St. Augustine wrote that there are two cities, the city of God and the city of man. And they are at war with each other. Ever since Satan brought his diabolical schemes into humanity, ever since evil entered this world, it has been clear there is a struggle. There's a struggle in your heart. There is territory that is unclaimed by Christ, even in my life. In every one of us, Satan can't have your soul, but he wants that that spot. Jesus is the breaker of that bondage. The kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of Satan. And Christ calls to each one of us to see the lie of the seducing city of man. That kingdom of Satan that can even come into our own lives and we need to run from it. This is the good news though. The kingdom of God is here to destroy the kingdom of Satan. Paul tells us that the gospel is at work destroying Satan's kingdom. Romans 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And in 1 John, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In Matthew 12, Jesus was attacked by the religious leaders for casting out demons and they charged that he had a demon. Jesus clearly showed the absurdity of such a claim by saying that a kingdom divided cannot stand. But then Jesus goes on to talk about one who enters a house, binds a strong man, and plunders the house. And in this parable, Jesus is the one who enters. He enters the kingdom of Satan, and he is binding of Satan was done at the cross and in his resurrection. He is the strong man and he is now loose in Satan's kingdom, plundering it by setting men free. Every time Jesus healed a demoniac or liberated a soul enslaved to Satan, he was plundering Jesus. He was plundering Satan's house. Every time someone has shown God's grace, and receive forgiveness of sins, the kingdom comes. Every time that one of our children who's grown up on the gospel makes their faith their own, not just mom and dad's, the kingdom grows. But doesn't the Bible say that Satan goes around like a roaring lion? Yes, he does. We can all see that in our own life. We know that he can be powerful. But we also read in John 16 that the ruler of this world is judged. One helpful way of thinking that is that is about the victory of the Allies over the the Nazis in World War II. Once D-Day and the beachhead at D-Day at Normandy was established, the end was sure. Yes, people would die, battles would be fought, 
But in the end, this horrible regime was going to collapse. The same is true in our world. At the cross, the beachhead was established. The eventual defeat was laid. There will still be battles. But Christ is the victor. You know, the whole book of Revelations can be summed up in three words in my mind. Jesus always wins. He won at Eden when victory was declared by God but had yet to be worked out. He won at Calvary when Satan's domain was given his final blow. He won when the early church in Rome, the tool of Satan, became the instrument of God to advance throughout the whole world. He won the day you surrendered to him. The day you welcome Jesus to sit on the throne of your life. One by one, the kingdom of God is tearing down the walls erected by the kingdom of this world. But here's how. The kingdom of God is progressing. The kingdom of God is going to burst forth in a new kingdom, in a new heaven, and a new earth. And when we pray for your kingdom to come, we are also praying for that fulfillment of the kingdom at his return and the restoration of all things. Then the Lord said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Paul wrote of that day, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every ruler and every authority and every power. There's a lot of different theories on all this, how all this will play out. That's not my task today. I'll only say that he came once and he's coming again. He will appear in the heavens. He will bring with him all those who have died in Christ. Their very bodies will be raised from the dead, both body and soul. They will be caught up with Christ forever. Those living, likewise, will be transformed with new bodies. Christ will judge all men in that day, and the kingdom will come in its fullest as all men named Jesus as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Then, says Paul, Jesus will hand over the kingdom to his Father. That's the consummation of the kingdom. My friends, I don't know what that means in its fullness any more than I can fully comprehend what God did in Eden. But I know that when we pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done, I am praying for that realization of the full kingdom of God. Someday we'll be with all of our loved ones. You and I will be reunited with them and with our Lord in that eternal kingdom. This is the kingdom that changes the world. We are crying out for it. I'm going to leave you with something from another of my favorite books in the Chronicles of Narnia. It's from The Last Battle. Lewis says, 
all their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. That, my friends, is the kingdom of God that we are praying for. I'm now going to pray with you, and it's going to be a longer prayer than you're used to at the end of a sermon. But it is a prayer for his kingdom to come in its fullness. So please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you, our great and glorious King. This world gives no weight to you, but we draw near to you in worship. God, all power and authority belongs to you, and we thank you that you have chosen to establish a kingdom. In perfect justice, you could have written off the entire human race and left us to the ruin of our rebellion. But in love and mercy, you chose to bring all who believe to your kingdom. We are so thankful, and we gladly embrace you as our Lord and King. Father, we pray that our reign may be seen, your reign may be seen more clearly in our lives. Forgive us for the complacency with which we have given room to sins that have no place in your kingdom. May the truth of your word sanctify us today. Father God, we pray for the spread of the gospel in our world. There are people who we love who today are outside of your kingdom. Oh God, in your mercy, bring them in. Cause them to be born again, we pray. Deliver them from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you light in our hearts a passion for the spread of the gospel. Help us to do your work while it is day before the night comes when no one can work. Father, we pray for the day when Christ will return. We long to see your Son, our King Jesus, hasten the day when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Come, God, defeat the enemies who are arrayed against you. Come, judge the world in righteousness. Come and bring safely into your presence to live under the blessing of the rule of your Father. Father, your kingdom come through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. It's a lot wrapped up in that one little clause without a transitive verb, I'll tell you. And I think we need to constantly be thinking about that the kingdom of god that's what we're um that's what we're all part of and what we're celebrating and what we are hoping will come soon so 
This is our time for um, for New Life Family Time, basically where we go over a few uh, things to keep everybody informed of what's going on. Um, one of the things I will say is that Oz, um, a 